Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. So, me and Tyler have both seen Shang Chi, and Shang Chi, Shang 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 Chi, Shang Chi, Shang Chi, like like Shang, like Sean, like Sean. Why would you Why would you change your name from Shang to Sean? <laughs> all right, Gina. Um, <laughs> all right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the BS Cast. Uh, that was a completely unplanned bit. You'll have to believe us. Uh, you can probably tell because of the fact that it wasn't executed particularly well on my part. Um, yeah, both me and Tyler have, have seen uh, Shang Chi. Uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher that throughout this entire conversation, but I don't really care. And um, we thought we enjoyed it so much that we wanted to talk about it with each other because, frankly, I don't have anyone else to geek out about over this, Um, especially after I started talking about timeline-related shenanigans with my dad who Mm -hmm. went to watch it with me, and he just thought I was a sad case. So uh, here we are in in fine company. This is a a safe place for Marvel nerds, and uh, we can just talk about that shit for what it's worth. And for those of you who are new who didn't read the massive in capital letters spoilers um, in the title of the podcast, I'm going to warn you now, from the get-go, we are spoiling the crap out of this bitch. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, and if you care about spoilers, please, please do turn off now and come back once you've seen the movie. We'll be here for you. We don't mind waiting. Right, with that out of the way, I'm going to open with uh, with my gambit, which is... Tyler, I wanted more... Ter- uh, t- <laughs> God damn it, I couldn't even say it. <laughs> uh, Tyler, I wanted more slattery. I got more slattery. Good God, I fucking love Ben Kingsley. I... So, they... I think they kept this a very good secret. Yes. Until, like, right before the movie comes out. Because... There was no indication that Ben Kinsley was in this movie at all. No. And then he's at the red carpet and they announce it's like, oh, another cast member from the movie, Ben Kingsley. And everyone went, oh, Trevor Slattery's back. And that'll tie in with that <laughs> with that one shot, I'll Hail the King, which yep. they just happened to upload directly to Disney Plus. I believe it's the first one shot to do that. So that's now on Disney Plus for people to watch right before Shang-Chi came out. Awesome. And I was like and I was like, oh, well, don't, maybe there's a little cameo or there's like a little reference to him or whatever. Motherfucker's like a <laughs> uh, main character in the yeah. second half of this movie. Hell He's yeah. in it a lot. <laughs> and like, I could, the, the one thing that I was disappointed with at the end of, uh, of, of Iron Man 3 was the fact that we got a glimpse of Trevor Slattery, like the real Trevor Slattery. And he was hilarious. And then we see the one shot, all, all hail the king. And it seems as though they've killed him off, although we never see him die on screen. And the one thing we've learned from both... Just, the, we just know that the, the, the uh, short ends with a gun to his temple, so it's not looking great. No, it's not looking great. But the one thing that we've learned from both the Marvel Cinematic Universe and from Game of Thrones is if they didn't die on screen, they may very well not be dead. So... Um, 
Yeah, I, I was very, very happy. The moment I started hearing those noises, my mind put numbers together and somehow came uh-huh. out with the right equation. And I was like, oh my fucking God, they've they've only gone and done it. Trevor Slattery is in this bitch. And he was just amazing. The The monkeys joke was hilarious. So I have not funny. laughed that hard so in a movie funny. for years and I'm well aware that I've not been to a cinema for two years, but I I have not laughed that hard in so, so long. And I I just adore Trevor Slattery. And if they can work him into further uh, episodes of, of this uh, particular MCU, I will be a very, very happy boy. He is wonderful. So, since we're talking about Trevor, I want to talk about, and I guess we'll just start off with the negative. My Biggest complaint about this movie. Right. It is something that I wanted to happen so badly. I thought for sure it was going to, and then it didn't. And it bummed me out because it, it just felt not, it felt so natural. Mm-hmm. And like the movie, I like if you, I would bet money, I'd bet 20 bucks. They shot it and it got cut. That right. is how positive I am that this is in this movie because it makes so much sense. Okay. And you're going to and I'm going to tell you this and you're going to say, damn it, I wish that was in the movie. So there's again, we said spoilers. This is late in the game. Oh, yeah. Um, Tony Leung is smashing apart that demon barrier and the demons are starting to fly out and all the people fighting the big war, the Ten Rings and the Talo are are like, we need to join forces and they're standing together and they're preparing their weapons. And a couple of them say some pretty cool shit. Razor fist, like takes his normal razor, turns it into like a, a demon killing razor. And you're like, Oh shit, this is so cool. (laughs) And they're staring down at the lake and these demon monsters are flying towards them. And there's dramatic music playing and it's cutting to each and every one of them. And there's a moment where it pauses on Trevor Slattery's face. And I was like, he should start reciting Shakespeare. <laughs> yes. Like St. Crispin's Day monologue. Beautiful. It would have been so fucking good. Beautiful. It would have made perfect sense. It would have been brilliant. It would have been fucking Jill's moment. And then it just doesn't happen. No. And there's even a part where they cut to his face standing there with all of them. And I'm like, and he looks like he's very intense. And I'm like, he looks like he's just about to start resetting beautiful Shakespeare and it's Ben fucking Kingsley. He's an incredible actor. Yeah. And we know that the character knows Shakespeare and we know that he's good at Shakespeare because he says that that's why he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, he's essentially a court jester for the 10 rings. Right. Yeah. How good would that have been? Would have made this like over the top perfect movie for me. That's my biggest complaint. Cause I really like everything. I was just like, Oh my God, it was so perfect. And they just didn't do it. <laughs> it made so much sense to me. That is a shame now that you say that. Like, that would have been kind right? of awesome. Even if it hadn't been Shakespeare, even if it had been like, and, and maybe this is Shakespeare and I'm showing my lack of knowledge in the subject, but what's that speech that ends with, uh, let slip the dogs of war? Cry havoc um, and let slip the dogs of war. I can't think where it comes from, but it... It feels very fitting and dramatic, and yeah, like I, I think that would have been awesome. However, cry, cry havoc, 
Cry, cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war. That's the yeah. Charlton Heston said that. What is which? Hey, makes sense, right? Yeah, because he loves himself. He was some, talking, some, he was talking about Charlton Heston. He loves the apes. He loves the apes. Dave, I am convinced they shot this. <laughs> <laughs> it it makes too much sense for them to not to. And I think that they were probably like, you know what? This is a really long movie and we don't need this. And let's just, we'll just cut it for time because they probably just hung on it for a few minutes yeah. and let him. And they were like, you know what? We can cut some time from this movie if we just cut this. But I feel, I'm convinced they shot it. It makes too much sense. It wouldn't surprise um, me. Uh, the origin of phrase is from the Black Book of the Admiralty, 1385 collection of laws in French and Latin that relate to the organization of the English Navy. Shakespeare uh, obviously borrowed this. Um, uh, let me see. It's from Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar. Yes, there we go. Awesome. Okay, so now let's imagine everybody. Now everybody imagine that I'm Ben Kingsley, right? Dodgy Liverpudlian accent and all. And and we're staring down. We just watched the cool, all these cool moments with the tallow and 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 the ten rings and Razor Fist and Katie, and they're all joining forces and they're staring down these demons and they and they cut to Trevor and he goes, "Blood and destruction shall be so in use in dreadful objects so familiar." That mothers shall but smile when they behold their infants quartered with the hands of war. All pities choked in customs of fell deeds, and Caesar's spirit ranging for revenge, with eight by his side come hot from hell, shall in these confines with a monarch's voice cry havoc, and let slip the dogs of war, that this foul deed shall smell above the earth, with carrion men groaning for burial. Chills. Awesome, right? Fucking chills. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so cool. Ben Kingsley. Shakespeare. What we Demons. Did, what we did get, awesome. though, in in uh, it, it, by by way of uh, compensation, uh, we got a lovely scene where um, Marvin, or whatever his name was, um, Morris, the little Hundun, which apparently is the name of the species uh, that Morris is a part of, um, <laughs> he goes over to Slattery's character, who looks as though he's dead on the ground, and like I think most of us knew he was playing dead, but there is a moment where you're just like, "Oh God, is this for real?" And then Slattery just kind of, kind of props himself up on his le- on his arms, and he's like, "I'm I'm not dead. I'm I'm acting. I'm performing, darling. Now get down here and do the same." And the look on his face when Morris flips upside down and out acts him. It it's like it's somewhere between admiration and complete and utter disdain, because he's being outacted by a faceless uh, fuzz bucket. It is brilliant. I it's such a great little scene thrown in there. And the thing is, like, I, I Ben Kingsley, I would take an entire movie of uh, his character. Um, I I loved everything that he did in this film. I'm glad that he wasn't in it more because he would have completely overshadowed everything that was there. But I feel that the balance that they had and the fact that they were able to have him address the issue of him taking on the the, the title of the Mandarin and the fact that uh, Tony Lung's character is just like, he named himself after a chicken dish. Like, that's a great line. 
I fucking love that line. Like, what did he call himself? He named himself after a chicken dish. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> superb. Um, but yeah, there's a lot about this movie outside of Ben Kingsley that I really like. I, I'm not massively familiar with Aquafina. Um, to the point that I'm not sure if I've pronounced that correctly or not, but yeah, no, you got it. It's like the the water brand, like the water brand. It just with a a superfluous W, uh, it's a silent W, but she is just superb. And I know she's relatively new to acting, but her comic timing is just spot on. She is a brilliant comic foil. I'm trying to figure out what, so have you, have you seen, um, the second Jumanji movie. No. Okay, so it's it's very important for me to tell you this because I, I I I think this is a selling point for the movie, especially if you liked Aquafina in this movie. Um, a large section of Jumanji two revolves around Aquafina playing Danny DeVito. Oh damn! I need to see this. Mm-hmm. I need which, to see this. <laughs> which the movie the movie begins. So there's like basically they're you know obviously they're in the bodies of these characters. So like the 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 people in the video game are playing portrayals of the other characters. And this one you have Danny DeVito as one of the people sucked in the video game. So it does start with The Rock playing Danny DeVito, which is also great <laughs> in, <laughs> in, in its own unique way. I always say this all the time, it, but it's my favorite part of the movie. You know how the the Rock has that intense look and that smolder, right? That he does oh, yeah. all the time. When yep. He's about to say something intense. Makes money even like, every time. The look, the look, like right before he he says his catchphrase in wrestling and everything, like that look to him. There's a part where there's like a like a bunch of a, a bunch of bad shits coming at the at the main characters from Jumanji, and uh and and you know something badass is about to happen, and. The the rock makes that face and the camera zooms in on him and he's again it's Danny DeVito so he's doing a Danny DeVito impression and it looks like the rock and he's being really intense and the camera zooms in on he goes we gotta get out of here and it's so fucking funny (laughs) (laughs) I need to watch this film I saw the first one and I really enjoyed it Um, I just never got round to watching the second. I know, okay, I know. I know. We're on a tangent here. Uh, oh yeah, that's what the show's all about, though. The, mate. Here's ahead. what's here's what's fun about the second one. So I think the first one is a very fun movie. It's very funny. My biggest like thing is I was always like Jack Black is is trying really hard. The girl who plays the girl that Jack Black is before outside of the game, I think she's doing a great job. Hmm. Karen Gillan is playing her girl to a T. It is oh yes identical she is the yeah, same person yeah, yeah, yeah. throughout the entire movie and i'm always so impressed with that i'm a huge the fan rock, of karen gillen anyway i mean i always will right. be she's brilliant i yeah. love her but the rock and kevin hart are just playing the rock and kevin hart they don't feel like they're the teenagers outside of it right yeah the second movie has the rock playing danny devito and kevin hart playing um danny glover and it fucking changes the game. 
because now they are actually doing a silly like acting thing Mm -hmm. and it makes it so much better and then later they all change characters again and that's when you get aquafina playing danny devito (laughs) (laughs) it's perfect she's so fucking good at it (laughs) she's just so good and and she's got like a, a an amazing list of credits already she's only been active in the acting world since 2016 and she made uh, three movies in the first two years. She made five in 2019. She only made she the is, one movie. She's a in highlight of Ocean's Eight. Um, yeah, I saw she was in she's that. One of the best parts of That's that. another movie that I've been meaning to watch. I think it's available in the UK on Netflix, and I've not got round to it yet. But I'm she a big plays, Ocean's she plays movie. One of the titular characters in Ryan the Last Dragon. Yeah, I saw that as well. Uh, I've not watched Ray and the Last Dragon, but it's on my list. Um, I was actually speaking to Andy today. On Generation Animation at some point. Oh, definitely. I was speaking to Andy on uh, Erie International today, and um, he mentioned Ray and the Last Dragon. And I I said to him, I've not watched it yet, but I will watch it. Um, I think because it shared a cast member with the thing that we were talking about that day. But I can't find the cast. Oh, here's the cast. No, no, I don't recognise any of these names. <laughs> Alan Tudyk, I, oh my, I, I recognise the names, of course, like Kelly Marie Tran and, and uh, uh, Aquafina, of course, Benedict Wong. Um, I mean, he lucked out, didn't he? Benedict Wong, he gets to play a character mm-hmm. who's literally just got the same name as him. He's just like, yeah, it's me, it's and, Wong. <laughs> and Wong is... I, I tweeted about this after seeing Shang-Chi mm. uh, and having watched all of What If so far. Um, every appearance by Wong in the MCU is fucking great. He was it, a lot of fun in this he for, for the time he was never there. never misses. Yeah, yeah. He's bang on. He is always – every no matter – he's in Infinity War for like three minutes and he's got like two of the funniest parts of the whole movie. And then he, and he fucks off. You don't see him again. And it's like, <laughs> man, Wong knows when to leave him wanting more. Yeah. Every time. He's so great. I uh, – How could I he was, be Wong uh, when is, he feels so right? <laughs> <laughs> this, is a, this is a very weird story. So there's a <laughs> – but I love telling it because it's so fascinating to me. So um, – Oh, what's his name? I was I was in a room once. Right. A very small, intimate room with two actors who have appeared in, in a Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Um, and I was unaware uh, at the time of, of <laughs> that I was in the presence of Benedict Wong. But um, there is uh, this thing that happened – used to happen every year in New York called the Del Close Marathon that UCB did. And one year I participated in it. And because I participated in it, I had access to the Performers Lounge where they were recording podcasts uh, throughout the festival. Mm. And one of the podcasts that was being recorded is a show called Blank Check, which is a very, very, very good movie podcast um, that – originated as like a weird bit show mm-hmm. where the before they decided on the idea of the show, which is that um, it's a bunch of miniseries where they talk about a director's entire filmography. So they like start with their first movie all the way to their most recent movie and they talk about the history of their career in each film. So it's oh, like, cool. oh, okay. we're not going to talk about this movie. We're also going to talk about how they ended up here and they talk about the the concept of a blank check movie being like they have success early on and then they get to make whatever they want and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't but it's fascinating no matter what that's the concept of the show but before it was that the concept was uh what if 
what if the Phantom Menace was the only Star Wars movie that existed? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. And so the bit is they pretend like that's there's only one Star Wars movie and it's Phantom Menace and they never made any more. And that's what they talk about. And uh, Peter Serafinowicz uh, guested Love that guy. on this episode. So it's the two of them in this very intimate space where he's talking about playing Darth Maul to these guys as if there is no other Star Wars movies. <laughs> and I'm there having not listened to Blank Check before, but I knew Peter Serafinowicz. So I was like, oh, let's check this out. And so I'm watching, I'm watching them talk about this. And little did I know, sitting to my left was Benedict Wong <laughs> in a room of like 20 people. Isn't that wild? <laughs> that is like, cool. I'm constantly. And I find that out from listening to the podcast where they talk about it. They were like, isn't it crazy that Benedict Wong was there? And I'm like, I was there too. <laughs> I, I am constantly bemused and amazed by your little asides where you talk about, oh, yeah, there was this one time I was sitting next to Benedict Wong. Oh, yeah, Kylin King. Yeah, I used to, I used to know her. Um, like, yep. <laughs> it's just constantly these these little just asides where it's just like, oh yeah, didn't you know this? And I'm like, no, I fucking didn't. Like, why are you living this amazing life? Um, yeah, just outstanding. I, like, yeah, shit like that happens to me all the time. <laughs> uh, but, but anyways, back back to everything else. Benedict Wong, every pound per pound, every mm. time he shows up in any MCU thing, he's one of the highlights. Um, you never feel like you've gotten enough Wong. Yep. He's great in the first Doctor Strange, um, where you really only see him lighten up near the end. Um, he plays a very intense character, but we know that there's like some fun lurking in there because of the Beyonce thing. Oh, yeah. And then um, you get to Infinity War. He's great. Endgame. He's only in it for a few minutes, but you love it. There's a lot to fit then, into Endgame, to be fair. Right. What if is funny, his little appearance in that, he's great. And then he pops up in this and he's great. And I'm like, man, like, he has a miss. Every time he pops into one of these things, he's great. And I love that character so much. And I'm so excited that we don't have to wait long to see him again because he's going to be in, he's going to be in Spider-Man. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like, I, I feel like almost as, as though he is taking up a kind of unofficial Nick Fury role in that you need that connective character that appears in all the movies almost to remind people that, oh, we are still sharing a universe here. Like, I don't think anyone needs to be reminded of it, but it's nice to have that little bit of crossover. And I feel like Wong is the perfect character for that because he can literally just portal in and out. Like, and they, they ruined the surprise of this, but I still enjoyed watching it on screen. Um, seeing Wong fighting against, um, oh, Abomination in that mm -hmm. fight club. Uh, and especially the way that he defeats Abomination uh, with the portal is just, that, that was really, really clever. And then behind the scenes, you find out that they might have staged the fight to begin with anyway. And <laughs> Abomination is like wrestling, you know, it's like when somebody lifts the, uh, the curtain on wrestling for the first time and you're like, Oh <laughs> shit, they're just working together. Cause Abomination's literally just sitting there having a drink, icing his jaw. And Wong says, you shouldn't have been punching so hard. I keep telling you like it's so, a fixed fight. So, so this is what, what's very fun about this. And, and, and he takes him back to we, maximum we, security. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what's, so what's interesting about this is like when the trailer for this movie came out, I remember this is what was interesting. The trailer for this movie comes out. 
you see what looks like the like abomination, but the design is a little different than when we saw him in the first Hulk movie. So it was a little like, is that him? And then who sure. yeah. definitely a sorcerer, um, because you're seeing the sling blade, and they're fighting at the very end of the trailer or whatever. And then a bunch of people, like you know, new rock stars, was like, is that I, that might be Wong mm. doing that? What's Wong doing here? And I was like, I don't know if that's Wong. And then Kevin Feige was like, it's Wong. I went, <laughs> oh, shit. I, I have a lot of questions. And then I watched the movie and that scene happened. And I went, I have way more questions than yeah. I had before. Yep. This answered none of them, but posed many more. And I'm like, what is going on there? Yeah. Why are these two working together? That's the thing. What is happening? That's the big question for me. Like, Abomination clearly has regained some sense because I, from what I remember of uh, that particular Hulk movie, I think it's Incredible Hulk, um, he wasn't really in his right mind when he ended up how he was. Uh, and it's been a good few years since then. So the fact that he's able to... It's almost the same as as uh, we see in Endgame with uh, Bruce, where he's he's the he's Professor Hulk, where he's been in that body for so long that his mind has matured and he's able to just have regular conversations. Um, it almost feels as though Abomination is there now, where he, he's at least in control of his uh, logical response to certain things, to the point that he's able to put on a wrestling match with Wong um, <laughs> for money, which is great. But, uh, he still, he still can't pull his punches, but, but I, I want to yeah. know, I want to know how they ended up in this. And so there is a, there is a another question. aspect yeah. to this where I am starting to wonder how, uh, how, how this is all tying into to one of the many MCU plot lines that's developing post end game. Um, which, which is, uh, the Contessa's little group that she's putting together where abomination certainly feels like he would be a part of that. Mm. Um, he doesn't feel like he'd be an Avenger. Wong seems to be a spokesperson for the Avengers at this point. Then here's a question. What point is it? Uh, are we going there already? I don't know. We have we haven't talked anything about the actual movie. Yet. I, I would love I would love to talk about the movie stuff. and then maybe circle back around to yeah, the whole timeline thing. Um, but like to, just to go back to uh, Aguavina for a second because I I think that it's when when you know how the sausage is made you can't really go back to not knowing and once you understand the concept of characters being there to allow for an excuse for why certain things like speaking English happen. You, you know, you, you tend to notice these things. Aquafina is a fantastic comic uh, foil and she is absolutely superb in her role. And I'm so, so happy that she's there. And I am not for a minute saying that she's only here for this reason, but it is very, very handy that they have a character that's, caught up in all of this who can't speak Chinese and therefore characters have to speak English around her because Mm -hmm. I honest honest to God I would have respected the fucking balls off of this movie even more if they had made the entire movie subtitled like I would have fucking loved that 
20, 15, 20 minutes of this movie is they don't speak. Nobody speaks English. No, I, and I love the fucking balls on them for do, making that decision. I really yeah. do. But, you know, can you imagine if they were like, okay, there's literally like maybe five lines of English and the rest of it is all subtitled. It would <laughs> piss people off no end. And I am here for it. Imagine in 2021, nuts. the MCU is going to be the driving force behind getting people into foreign films. That would be amazing. <laughs> that would be fucking amazing. And no one's going to convince me otherwise. I would have loved it. But yeah, so she, she it makes perfect sense um, that she is that reason why the characters speak a lot more English around her. And uh, so why we don't have to tax our little eyeballs by reading subtitles. Um, but she's so much more than that. And I, I don't want people to think that I'm literally just casting her as this or casting an aspersion of her as a... Um, as a, an environmental crutch whereby we get what we need um but it does seem like that is her function it does seem like that is it's one of her functions um, for sure yeah it, but it's, it's a buddy cop it's, movie much like many others in in it, in marvel yeah it's it's the it's not just she's not there just for that but she's yeah. the audience surrogate because Oh um, yeah, absolutely. A lot of this movie without her around would just be people being like, "As you know." <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, like, um, Shang Chi knows what his history is. He doesn't have to explain it to himself. So mm-hmm. she's there to allow him to do that. Oh, that was another fantastic scene when they're on the plane, and he's he's te- you don't know they're on the plane at first, but he's telling her the story of, of his past, and then it gets interrupted by the air stewardess asking whether they want the beef or the vegetarian. Um, they both go for vegetarian and she's like oh no we're out of vegetarian would you like beef and she she actually waits for them to say yeah we'll have beef well, like there's says, any fucking she choice says is she she goes um we're, we're we're out of the vegetarian so which one would you like yeah <laughs> they're like yeah yeah i guess beef i guess i'll have just the beef. Said there's nothing yeah else. yeah and, and then she goes Okay, and then you, and he's like, "Oh yeah, man!" And they are both—they are both right. pitch perfect in that scene for that moment <laughs> where they're just—they're both looking at her like, "Are you fucking serious right now?" I—that is brilliant. It's so so good. They get the tone perfectly right. Like this is definitely a movie which is heavy on the comedy, but I think that they nail the um, not not tone is the wrong word. The, the balance between the comedy and the serious um, mm-hmm. in the same sort of way that, and I, I, I will always say this, um, the West wing newsroom, both of those are perfect examples of how you can tell a serious story, but have a lot of comedy in there and you can spin it. You, you can spin on a sixpence between super serious and super funny uh, and in both directions as well. And I think that this is a movie that manages that perfectly. Um, and like, I, I, I think Aquafina, if she wants to just set up uh, shop as a comic actor, she already kind of has. Looking at her, um, uh, at her uh, filmography, it seems like mostly she's being cast in comedy roles, and that's absolutely what they should be doing because she's got the chops for it. She's only five years into this career, and she's already one of my favourite comic actresses. And I've only seen her in one thing, for Christ's sakes. Like, she's just so, so good. And and I will get off of her dick in a minute. But I just, I just, I, I, man, like, if I wasn't talking about Trevor Slattery, I was going to be talking about Katie. Because they're, like, the two best characters in this entire movie. 
so so mm-hmm. good but that's not to take away from um simulu because he is or is it simu or simu i'm not sure it's simulu simulu okay um he does a really good job in the lead um and he's not your prototypical lead and not just because he's asian uh he is not like ripped like a steak he, he he's he's well put together don't get me wrong but like he has his typical marvel shirt off moment that they always seem to do with all of the male uh superheroes because apparently we're just pieces of meat to them um <laughs> But uh, I, I say that in jest. Of course, I do. I it's it's the best gag though. It is definitely the best I gag. Think. Yeah, absolutely. Of all of all of the reasons to get somebody shirtless, the way it plays out in the show is he gets accidentally entered into this fighting tournament, mm. and um, uh, Ronnie Chang, who shows up in this briefly, um, is like, "Okay, take off your shirt." And he goes, what? I'm not taking off my shirt. And then it like cuts to him shirtless. And Kenny's like, what happened to your shirt? And he just like dead face like shrugs. <laughs> I, I love the way she says that as well. Like she mimes a shirt and it's just like, yeah. it's perfect. And you can see like she's, she's lusting after him a little bit. And I love that they never quite go there with that story. Cause yeah, they th- never really, dis- they never really spent like, he says they're just friends. It never really plays too romantic, but it could also be like if you want to read yeah. as romantic, oh, yeah, you can yeah. as well. It's very, it's very open ended that way. I think at the end of the movie, it, it's definitely something that you could take from it if you wanted to. I just love the fact that the grandmother is just like, "When are you going to get married?" It's like, oh, that's so cute because every person I've ever, I personal story time. Um, I don't want to get too personal here, but I, I will protect names so that people won't be uh, incriminated. Uh, Whenever I go to a party, my my sister will always, of course, invite all of her friends over. And there's one friend in particular of my sister's who, for the longest time, every single fucking acquaintance, uh, common acquaintance of ours, has been shipping us like like Billio. Everybody apparently thinks that we're like a, a, a fantastic match and a great fit, and we should be an item. And why aren't we married already? Blah 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 blah. And like the both of us are just like, nah, nah, that's not <laughs> happening. It's not happening. Um, but everybody keeps going on about it, you know, and it's just that that moment with the grandmother kind of reminded me of that, but in a really cute way because I, mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. I, I love when old people ship younger people. I don't know what it is about <laughs> it. It's just really cute and really fun. And uh yeah, that that was a lovely scene. The family scene at home having breakfast. Um, it just felt very natural and and very authentic. And I I love that. I love that. And they're not the first movie to do this. Of course, they're not. Um, but it's really refreshing to see a movie that was made in America with American money, as well as Australia and New Zealand. Um, mm-hmm. And it is almost one hundred percent an Asian movie in terms of the cast, the main cast at least. Like, you've got the Romanian um, hobby knife guy. It's, um, it's basically, it's it's Ben Kingsley and yeah. uh, Razor Fist, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any, and then oh, post-credits. Outside oh, of yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. No, for sure, for sure. Like, I, I think that cra- Crazy Rich, is it Crazy Rich Asian, Asians, is that the name of the film? Yes. Yeah. Um, 
that deserves a lot of praise for setting the precedent that movies that are led by non-traditional Hollywood leading actors can absolutely mm-hmm. get over with the right audience. Um, and actually, it doesn't even have to be the right audience because the, the you know the, the lesson coming out of it was everybody's watching this movie. It's not just a movie that's going down well with uh, Asian Americans and, and uh, Asians around the world. It's a movie that's going down well with everyone. And, you know, what better movie franchise to jump off of the back of that than a Marvel movie? Because everybody will watch a Marvel movie. But if you can also get people used to seeing a cast which doesn't have the same makeup to it, uh, you know, 95% white American with uh, a few African-American and Asians thrown in for good measure, the, the sooner we can kind of get people's mindset away from the fact that that has to be how a movie looks, the better. Because mm-hmm. there's so many stories that can be told from so many viewpoints as well. Um, and so it's not something that I wanted to spend a lot of time on because, you know, I, I, I think the last thing they want is for people to be blowing smoke up their asses for something which was probably very much a given for them when they were casting it but it's definitely something that i wanted to just mention very briefly i I think it's uh Mm -hmm. it's really going to do cinema in general the world of good to have another film out there which is uh helmed a hollywood movie i should say because there's plenty of movies made in japan and china and places like that that are uh, very much dominated by asian actors but there's a good reason for that because it's in asia um for an american movie to have that kind of makeup cast wise uh it, it, it can only be a good thing so you know massive uh thumbs up and, and props to them for doing that um should talk a little bit more about this cast because there is a lot mm-hmm. of very good actors here i'm, I'm going to skip straight to the big one because i'm in love with this woman and she's been having a bit of a career renaissance in the last few years uh michelle yo as uh, Ying Nan or Auntie Nan, which is a really, really strange name. You know, it's like Uncle Grandpa. Um, <laughs> um, so Auntie Nan, um, she's wonderful. And like you, in a movie like this, I think that they did absolutely the right thing by dipping into that well of super experienced yet well-known in the West martial arts actors and it would have been super easy for them to go down the tried and trusted route of Jackie Chan or someone like that. But for me, like Michelle Yeoh is one of those actresses or, or actors. Let's just call her an actor. Why not? Give her the respect. Mm-hmm. She's one of those actors and martial artists who can absolutely go even now. And like when you watch her in an action scene, you 100% believe she did every single bit of that action scene. Um, she's wonderful. I love Michelle Yeoh. And you know exactly what you're going to get from her. And you get it in this movie. And big fan. Big fan. She's not listening, but I'm a big fan, Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's so great. And I believe uh, one of the first recurring MCU actresses playing multiple parts. She was in Guardians Volume 2, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah, yeah. She's not the last because because next is another one. In Eternals. Um, shit. Think, 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 think. No, you're going to have to tell me. <laughs> Gemma Chang is in Captain Marvel. That's right. We spoke about this, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, we did. So Man. we are now 
you know, at the point where people can play multiple roles in the MCU, which is exciting, I think. Because now it's like, oh, they were really wasted in this one bit part. That's it's like, well, yeah. who knows? Maybe they'll yeah. play something else again. No, I agree. Yeah, like I, I think um, I, 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 I do think that they are going to probably limit it to um, kind of one shot appearances uh, where where they then bring that character back or not that character, that actor back and put them in a role that is either another good uh, display for them or potentially a character that will continue to uh, appear going forward. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case with Michelle Yeoh's character. But having said that, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if she makes a little appearance at some point in the future. Um, I would like to see it because I think she's fantastic, as I've already said. And uh, more Michelle all the time is what I say. Um, but that, that the, the the world of um, Tarlow is is wonderful. I love that so mm-hmm. much. I mean, I, I'm not an expert on Asian culture by any means, but I think anyone that's been around the anime uh, scene for any amount of time will be aware that there's a uh, there's there's a fox with a, a great number of tails which appears in one of the uh, the more popular serialized anime um Naruto and uh, they had 12 tails you say so yeah i know i'm i'm I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 preaching not to the choir but to the opposite of the choir uh, whatever that might be um so, uh, audience congregation no because you preach to them they believe so it's got to be someone else i'm preaching to the Mm. satanists i don't know whatever it was a throwaway comment um (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so there are representations of animals in there that i had no idea were actually things uh one of them being uh morris that we've already spoken about very briefly oh yeah so a hundun which is the uh the official name of what morris is is actually a uh, a mythical being within Chinese mythology. Um, it is a legendary faceless being, uh, as well as the primordial and the the. Uh, hang on, let me read this correctly. Uh, Hundun is both a legendary faceless being in Chinese mythology and the primordial and central chaos in Chinese cosmology, comparable with the world egg. Well, I'm completely lost already. But it's nice that they're bringing these characters in from Chinese mythology and like the the weird horse, as uh, Trevor Slattery calls them. That one's looking at me. Why is it looking at me? Um, those looked very, very familiar. Like they looked very much like the carvings that you see on uh, Chinese buildings and uh, throughout uh, uh, Chinese architecture. I I just love how they fleshed out this world and they made it feel like a, a living, breathing extension of Chinese mythology. Um, and it, in a way, just kind of pointing to the fact that what they've already done with uh, with, with uh, Four and, and the rest of the Asgardian uh, race, you know, that they're worshipped as, as gods on Earth, but they're actually just like an alien race. And it's the same with the people of Tarlo. They're actually an advanced species or an advanced race of, of humans, I guess we should call them, um, who are on the same kind of level as the Asgardians as well as um, the Wakandans because she, um, I say she, Michelle Yeoh, 
uh, gives us a little bit of an exposition dump by taking us through this carving, uh, which was to show us the history of the um, of the Soul Eaters. And uh, one of the first things that you see is uh, a cityscape full of uh, architecture which wouldn't look out of place today in modern cities around the world. And I love that. Like the, the world building that they put into these movies, they're still building their worlds out. They're still expanding these worlds because they know that if they stand still, people are going to get a little bit bored. So they need to keep showing us new things. And I, I think that's a really cool way of doing it. And it felt completely natural. It didn't feel like an exposition dump. It felt like a perfectly natural way of telling the story because she has to clue the characters in on it, but do it in a way that isn't just her sitting down and telling them. Um, really, really well done. Really enjoyed that. The, just the world of, of Tarlo is, is just wonderfully uh, realised. And they filmed it, I believe, in New Zealand on a closed set, and then they um, digitally inserted the rest of the world around it. They did a really great job. That dragon is fucking brilliant. Love the dragon. Yeah, it's such, you know, the dragon itself is great, but just all of the these creatures are so cool. And hmm. um, outside of like a brief trailer shot of some of them, you don't really know what you're going to get in this, I think, until yeah. you start seeing them. And knowing that like, hey, this these are legitimate, you know, Creatures from Chinese mythology, and they're really well rendered and very cool looking, and mm. they're really fun to, to get in, in this movie as a nice little surprise. They are. I, I would really like to um, speak to somebody that is more knowledgeable about Chinese mythology and, and history and get their read on, on what they thought about the representation of their culture like if if I, I i'm trying to think i do have a few chinese friends that i can reach out to um i wonder if hero might hero might do it um but uh so i i think i may re, re, reach out to a few of my chinese friends and ask them what they think of it if they've seen it um because i i think it's a world that again without wanting to to go into it too long hollywood doesn't really do other cultures um so when it does you're always worried that they do it justice um and you know i'm, I'm speaking from the point of view of someone that saw euro road trip and uh wasn't particularly pleased with the way they represented <laughs> the british um <laughs> but i laughed at it it was fine vinnie jones was in it anyway um so i i'm very interested to find out uh, what the emotional response to uh, those scenes was from somebody that would recognise a lot more clearly the motifs and uh, and the historical figures and uh, and mytho- mythological figures that were being represented. But CG was on point for the movie. I thought the water specifically was really, really well done. It's a very difficult mm-hmm. thing to get right. We've spoken about that recently on Generation Animation when we talked about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh the 2007 movie i don't remember i remember talking about it i don't remember which one it was It was either 2007 or 2009 it's one of those years um seven sounds right yeah we'll go with seven someone will tell me later it was probably eight and i was completely wrong and didn't get it right at all but there we go we've covered most of them um 
water can be really really difficult to get right and i think that they've really nailed it in this uh movie uh the the scene with the dragon eyes where they uh in the words of aquafina um a magical water map appeared on the floor very well done enjoyed that immensely um in fact the scene where they originally go through the bamboo forest and it's all moving around them that was really well done really enjoyed that um there's a couple of scenes that aren't brilliantly done, but they're done well enough that it didn't really take away from it for me. Like, there's a scene where they're on the bendy bus in the streets of San Francisco, and it's a shot where the camera kind of sweeps down the right-hand side of the bus to watch Shang-Chi while he's fighting. And mm-hmm. it's very clearly a CG bus. But that is probably the only time that I'm watching that movie, and I think to myself, "Oh, that's bad CG." Well, the problem—the problem is that you know it's it's a very complicated thing that they're trying to do. Oh, for sure. Where for sure, the the combination of the of the because um, because I, I think the big one is like when the bus is falling apart, and it looks very CGI. Which is fair because they're it's splitting in half and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. You see the damage underneath, and you're like, oh, that doesn't really feel like that's what a bus looks like. <laughs> but, um, but they're doing really great choreography inside the bus, mm. and then the actual crash is real. Yeah. Um, because they shot that on location in San Francisco. Uh, but you're right in that there's these moments where they're trying to blend the two together, where it doesn't. It looks. Uh, very clearly CGI, yeah, which like, I, I can, is, you know, a bummer because this movie is so expensive. Yeah, I know. But like, you would I, think I they'd can, get that right. I, I completely understand and accept that they can't do all these things practically. And where they can, they'll do it by CG as well. Um, mm-hmm. And like I said, it didn't take me out of it, but I did definitely notice it. And I was like, ooh, okay. They didn't spend quite as much time on that as they could have. It almost just felt like... Um, you know when you you watch kind of behind the scenes stuff and they'll show you a, a render of a special effect and then they say and then we add this on top and then we add this and then we add this and then there's like one final pass where they say and then we add environmental shadowing and that's where it becomes real. It almost felt like that where it was just missing one of those filters like somebody had forgotten to to flip a switch on one of the filters for that one scene. And so it just mm-hmm. had this slight sheen where it wasn't quite... It, it just looked too clean, um, which is a problem that CG did have. And then uh, they kind of worked it out by using all kind of filters and things like that. Um, but th- they're doing a really thankless job. And, you know, for me to be picking up on one scene in the entire movie where the CG wasn't spot on, I think that speaks more to the quality of the CG work in the rest of the movie than about the one scene which i'm i've mentioned so fair play to them they they do a fantastic job um beginning to end pretty much on this movie as far as special effects are concerned um just give a, a little bit of a shout out to the rest of the cast because we kind of zeroed in on one or two of them and, and there's a few other members of the cast that do need to be uh, acknowledged before we move on to the sticky patch which is timelines ages and <laughs> hairstyles um so shout outs to uh, i mean we meant did mention tony lung very briefly um he plays the yeah, we gotta talk about him more he's we fucking do. great he yes. really is like he i did not expect to feel as bad for him 
as I did during I almost the either. entirety of the I movie. Didn't, I didn't expect him to be a sympathetic character. No, I, I thought, thought he was going to be a big bad. He was not going to be sympathetic at all. Um, but really, at the end of the day, what you're looking at is this this man who was a tyrant for thousands of years, near immortal, super powerful, mm. conquered everything he'd ever wanted to conquer. And then he meets this woman, the fight sequence between the two of them when they meet. It's That's beautiful, really beautiful the way it goes from like a fight to almost a dance. It felt very much like, and I, I don't know how much experience you have of um, Asian Kung Fu movies, Tyler. We've never really talked mm-hmm. about them. I don't have a great deal of... of uh, history with them okay to be fair have you watched and funnily enough this is another michelle yo movie uh crouching tiger hidden dragon i have not but okay so that, i'm assuming there's some influence there because it oh, looks very yes. similar yes 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 if you're going to watch one movie which pretty much encapsulates the style and the sound of that scene crouching tiger hidden dragon is absolutely the one for you there's a very famous style of martial arts in um, in South Chinese cinema, which is very much based around wire work. So you'll have characters that will um, fly from rooftop to rooftop in incredibly impossible light bounds. Um, and like the, the wire work extends to the fighting and things like that as well. The music is very kind of like flute and woodwind instrument um, orientated. Uh, I would recommend checking it out because it, uh, just in and of itself, Crouching Tiger is like one of the best martial arts movies that I have ever watched. And it stands up to this day because it's a period piece. It doesn't age badly at all. In fact, mm. if you look at it compared, it, it influences a lot of movies, I think think i'm trying to remember if it came out in the late 90s i think it did i'm pretty sure it influences the matrix in a couple of scenes because they have a very similar wire work aesthetic to some of the martial arts in that movie as well but crouching tiger yes do you know who shot this movie i should but you're probably going to tell me that it was the same director that did crouching tiger hidden dragon (laughs) Not, not oh, director. No, it wasn't. I mean, when I say shot, I mean cinematographer. Oh, cinematographer. Uh, I haven't got a clue, but I've just found out it was William Pope. Yep, Bill Pope. I want to take a look at his filmography. Oh, he's worked with the Wachowskis. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was the cinematographer of all the Matrix movies. That makes a lot of sense. And, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. That makes even more sense. That guy knows mm-hmm. cinematography, especially where it comes. Now, the thing is, I'm not sure He's in the world. Of, oh, absolutely. I'm not sure in the world of martial arts whether the cinematographer has as much say in the fight scenes as no, they do. No, but, but when you're when you're talking about that, I just wanted to bring it up because of the way. Oh, for sure. This is a guy yeah, who shot. Yeah, yeah. He's the one who put the camera in front of the Matrix. So when you're saying like, yeah, 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 you feel that similarity. It's. Because it's it's there. The guy behind the camera is the guy who was behind the camera for those movies. It has that, but I, I think that they were very careful in, in wanting to, to pay homage. And also the fact that mm. you have somebody in the cast, literally in that scene, who was part of that movie, right. Crouching Tiger. Like I, I would recommend, uh, Tyler, if and when you can, um, 
check Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon out. There, there is a, uh, a, a dubbed version of it, which came out at the same time as the subtitled version uh, in cinemas. They ran side by side. Um, mm. and I, I would recommend I, either the sub or the dub. Um, but I think probably the dub would be better for you because you can concentrate on the action and not have to worry about the, the reading. Although it's very rare that they talk and fight at the same time, so it was never really an issue even for the sub. Um, but yeah, it, very, very strong um, aesthetic link between those two movies. And it really is, like you said, it's a beautiful scene. It's so well done. And the the beauty of the wire work style of martial arts is that it does end up feeling almost like a dance more than a fight. Um, and that comes also from um, Wushu and uh, um, Wing Chun. Uh, tai Chi is a big thing in this movie. Um, there's a scene of, uh, of uh, Shang-Chi with his mother um, just before mm-hmm. she's murdered where she's teaching him uh, Tai Chi and it becomes very clear that Tai Chi is the basis. Tai Chi is an actual martial art. This is the the thing. People re- don't think that because it's a, an exercise old people do in the park that it is a martial art, but it absolutely is in the same way that something like capoeira is a martial art. Um, it looks like a dance, but if you use it as it's intended, as it was originally intended, you can kick someone's ass with it. And you see that during this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Michelle Yeoh uh, has a scene with uh, with, with uh, Simu Liu where they're fighting each other, uh, like training. It's, it's nothing serious. But she makes it look so effortless and so easy. And he very quickly catches on to the fact that it's not all about strength and power. It's about grace and movement and control. Um which is actually something that a lot of martial arts inspired stuff tends to uh to focus on. There's a scene very early on in uh Korra, um the uh the Avatar sequel, where she learns that to be an airbender you have to move like the wind. So you can't force your way through every obstacle. Sometimes you have to be supple and pliant and, and move with the the motions of the things around you. Um it's a very common trope, but it's nonetheless very true. So definitely worth mentioning. But yeah, Tony Lung, he's great. <laughs> yeah, all this to say, he's so good. Um, but yeah, so what I was going to say before we went on that that kind of thing. Mm. So they have this beautiful fight that turns almost feels like it's turning into a dance. And that's, I, I, I think, Bill Pope as a cinematographer and then the, the choreographer for all these fight sequences, which are so fucking good. And um. I'm going to look for the names of the choreographers too because yeah, they, I know that people who worked on this out. are – they've got a great lineage uh, when it comes to uh, martial arts. Um, but I – they have this really nice romance where you see how they fall in love with each other, mm-hmm. how she kind of like breaks through to his heart yeah, from the same place of like – battle like he's goes he's fighting her mm, mm. and then like her fighting him and her being able to best him or something like that like pierces that part of him and he opens himself up and he starts to become um a more loving person they have a very genuine love and then we're flashing back and forth and we know bits and pieces and um 
at a certain point, I'm thinking to myself, like, how did this woman who seems so nice, like, fall in love with this tyrant, this monster? Hey, and it's help. revealed he became a really loving father and yeah. they had a beautiful relationship. They both give up their powers she, and, um, right. And start a new life together. And he's willing to grow old and give up that immortality that he had had. And she gives up her powers. He gives up his, they have a beautiful relationship with their family. And then she is killed because of his past and it breaks him. And he destroys his family because of it. And in those final moments of the film, you really feel like you see the man who's the loving father again. Mm. And it's really beautiful. And he's so good. But the story is so sweet. And and I really, really like how this all plays out because it, it really, to me, feels like it's – a well-written story and he's doing something bad, but it's not, he's not doing it from a place of evil. He's not doing it for power. He's doing it because he's being misled because somebody is messing with his mind and trying to tell him, if you do this thing, it'll bring back the thing that you love. And everyone is trying to stop you from having that thing that you, that you wanted more than anything else, which isn't power. It's Mm. love. It's, yeah, this woman. He's doing it from a and place of love. Like that's literally his motivation is is love, but it's been twisted. His, his whole goal in this movie, as messed up as it is, and it even causes him to fight directly with his children, is to bring his family together again. Hmm. Like he's literally fighting to bring her back and to get back that relationship between his 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 children and his wife and himself that loving man that's been gone he is trying to get it back it's really shockingly sympathetic and in those final moments his sacrifice really does feel like he is that man again momentarily like it is Mm. in his final moments he is that caring father again and who who believes in his children um it's very sweet and very sad um and like bittersweet in that way I really liked it a lot. And he's so good. He's amazing. He really is. He really is. And I I really have almost nothing to add to that at all. Um, mm-hmm. I, what I will say is that, um, and, and they actually mentioned this, uh, the, uh, the, the director of the film, um, Destin Daniel Cretton, um, actually did mention that he was... He was concerned about the stereotype of the uh, Mandarin in the comic books and that he wanted mm-hmm. to do something. He wanted to bring something to the um, to the story, to the role that would make the character a much more multidimensional character. And um, I think his, his direct uh, quote is, uh, a fully realized human who may not make decisions that you agree with, but with relatable reasons for those decisions. Um, and it's that's that's a lovely way of saying it. Like, I I think that I'm thinking about all of the villains in the MCU, and I'm genuinely struggling to think of another villain who I put up on this level of sympathetic. Because if I'm in that same position, I'm not entirely sure that I do much differently. 
honestly. Yeah, it's only it's unfortunate in, in just that you wish that he would be able to see the truth and and not do what he's doing, yeah. and yeah. and you're able to solve the the problem by talking. And unfortunately, he's too far gone. It and, wouldn't make for a very maybe interesting personality. Film. It wouldn't make for a very interesting film if they all just talked it down. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. he has to yeah. unlock that gate. So, yeah, he's he's a very sympathetic character. You can make an argument actually in in a in a strange and perverse way. You can make the argument about Thanos being sympathetic because he does feel like what he's doing is best. But the hey, um, talk about a guy who could have been convinced of a good conversation. Am I right? Oh, tell me about it. But <laughs> but the 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 argument, of course, with Thanos will always be. And it's been memed to to the ends of the earth. Uh, why don't you wish for twice as many resources? You have that power. Just do it. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to wish for more resources. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. I, I want to kill people. Yes. <laughs> Some people might not understand that reference. Um, it's it's a Spider Man reference. Um, Spider Man yeah. is talking to a hyper intelligent dinosaur, and he says what. Why are you turning everybody into dinosaurs with this technology you could cure cancer? And the dinosaur replies, I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like... Shout, shout out to Elliot Galen, the writer of that comic. Dear that is God. one of the funniest comic panels I've ever seen I, in my life. But and it's it brilliant writing. Constantly relevant. It is, it is such brilliant writing as well, though, because... You just cut down to the basics of it, which is that, you know, um, evil people don't always do evil things because it's the rational thing to do. Sometimes they just want to do shit. And I love the fact that he just put it on the page. He was just like, I don't want to cure cancer. I want to turn people into dinosaurs. What's wrong with that? (laughs) It's perfect. It really is. I love that shit. Whenever it comes up on social media, I just take a second to to soak it in um it's it's beautiful it's right up there with with moon night memes for me and mark will be happy to hear that but i doubt he'll listen to this so i have to tell him i made that reference um so i i think we've we've done some uh Can justice I- to tony lung was there something else tyler sorry yeah. no 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 uh, I, i'm good uh, yes we've done justice to tony i think he's really really good in this he very much is. Um, a very quick mention to someone that we've already mentioned uh, in the uh, in the episode, but I did want to mention uh, Victor Drago himself, Florian Montaigne, uh, Montanu, Montanu. I apologise, Florian. I've completely butchered your name. Uh, Razor Fist. Um, wonderful design. I I. Like you, I really enjoyed the scene where he chops off his machete and replaces it with the uh, the, the soul eater killing machete instead. Yeah, it's it's fucked up that this guy made me like him so much, and yeah. it's really this is what it comes down to. Razor fist seems like a, a a complete like he's got a razor for a fist. He's big aggro mm. German Romanian actor, and whatever. He shows up a couple of times. He's just kind of big, brooding, like, you know, heavy in the in the Ten Rings clan. And then um, while they're escaping to to get to this magical village, (laughs) they steal a car and it happens to be Razor Fist's car. 
And the details of the car are so fucking funny to me oh. that I went, God damn it, I like Razor Fist now. Yeah. How did that happen? And it's his reaction. He's like, they stole my car. Like, <laughs> stole my car. And it's got the stupidest fucking like graffiti, graffiti Razor Fist on the yeah. side. Oh, and there's brilliant. like, you can see the Razor, he has, he, has he has a license plate, this is Razor Fist. Yeah. And then he has... He has a playlist uh, on the dashboard, his Spotify playlist called the Razor Fist Mix. And it's a bunch of I really didn't funny notice songs. That. And I'm like, man, uh, without really doing much, they, they gave this character a lot of personality. And then when you get to that final battle and he yes. and, and he's, he is like, oh, uh, he's like, no, we'll never work together. And then uh, Def Dealer gets his soul sucked out and he goes, Okay, let's work together. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> yep. No, I absolutely agree. That was a great line for him. I honestly, like, outside of those two things, I didn't think they gave him much to do. Like, he was pretty much the kind of, like, nameless heavy. Mm-hmm. But I love the fact that it looks as though he's going to be a character that makes further appearances down the line. Um, he he's fun, and yeah. there's a bunch of ways they could use him again, I think. Absolutely. I also really like that. Like uh, Georges St-Pierre, I, I think he made a, an appearance um, at the end of Falcon and Winter Soldier, and uh, he was previously in a Marvel movie as well before then. So you have these actors, I, I say actors, martial artists slash actors, um, who make the odd appearance, and they don't cost the earth to employ, and they're brilliant to have because they're just these little world building villains that just turn up from time to time because i've talked about this before i've mentioned it before i'll mention it again the marvel universe has a problem with how many villains it kills off like i i i feel like and they're probably going to wreck on this anyway and i don't want to somehow turn a tragedy into an i told you so but what i will say is that at the end of Black Panther, you have a character death which felt unnecessary at the time to a point and now feels very much like an opportunity that if they had it again, they probably wouldn't have gone that route because I think there's a redemption story to be told, especially because of um, the unfortunate events of what happened um in in recent years i just i yeah i don't know i i I feel like they kill off characters far too happily and easily like i i I feel like there was still mileage in the um the claw character and it's not just because i love andy circus and he's the greatest actor there yeah true like there's mileage in these bit part characters who you know they're not Thanos. they're not going to be ultron they're not going to be this character that is like the big final boss but you need i I felt the same way about bark talk the leaper because Mm. you mentioned that he pops up a falcon again and he dies yeah (laughs) and i was sad because i liked that he was back and i was i thought it was fun to see him again yeah and then they killed him and it's nice to have these villains that you know they're they're not the the final boss like i said but they're always all over the place you know it's kind of like how at the beginning of a of a, a batman movie as long as it's not one where you find out how he became batman because that seems to be every other movie He's putting away a bad guy, right? Mm. And the thing about Batman is he, traditionally at least, he doesn't kill his rogues gallery, which means 
whenever he needs a, a C-level bad guy to take down just to be like your entryway into the episode, he's got Calendar Man, he's got Kite Man, he's got all these characters that he can just pick up and you know, collar them. Condiment King. Hmm? I said the king, the condiment king. The condiment king, perfect example. But, you know... I want to see a live-action condiment king. That would be fun. I'm not going to lie, that would be a lot of fun. Um, But, you know, my point stands that I I think that Marvel is a little bit too trigger-happy where it comes to killing off these kind of C-level and below bad guys, and even the B-level bad guys. Um, Perfect case in point of how staying the execution can work out for them. Baron Zemo was superb in Falcon and Winter Soldier, but he wouldn't have been if they had done the same to him as they've done with many of their other bad guys and just killed him off. Um, I genuinely, like, the claw thing pisses me off, and there's a lot of other bad guys that they just off at the end of these movies that, honestly, I feel like they could have built a little bit more of a world around them and had a returning and constant rogues gallery of bad guys that... They're not the main threat, but they make a nice little aside. You know, it's like, oh, we're 20 minutes into the movie. We're just going to take this bad guy out before we get to the main crux of it all. It just it adds a little bit of variety. Um, but yeah, I've gone off on one again where it comes to that. But I I, I just feel like they, they need to stay their hand a little bit more where it comes to bad guys. What I like about this movie, even though they do have a bad guy end up dying... First of all, Tony Lung dies for exactly the right reasons and his death has impact on weight and feeling and I think it's perfect as it is. But secondly, another character that we haven't talked about yet, uh, Mengea Zhang, who plays Shang-Chi's sister. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, she's the next head of the Ten Rings and I love that for her. I absolutely love that for her. Because not only is she's she... She's making a lot of... She's making a lot of improvements. She is. I noticed I noticed solar panels. Solar panels. Uh, women good. training alongside men, which is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, graffiti on the walls. So they're going for a much more modernist vibe, uh, I guess. Some art, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I actually... I pointed out the solar panels to my dad and I was like, look, she can't be all bad. No evil person ever had solar panels fitted. Um but I, yeah, I, she cares about the environment. She does. But I, I think that she's going to fit very nicely into this grey area of not quite a hero, not quite a villain, kind of Sharon Carter kind of angle where it's like, yeah, she's kind of a bad guy, but you can still count on her when the chips are down kind of deal, you know? And I like that. I think that adds a lot more depth to the world. I I like the idea of the Ten Rings army popping up again somewhere. I mean, I I like how many of these, um, you know, by by the end of Endgame, where you're seeing like the Ravagers and the Sorcerers from Carmitage and uh, the, uh, who who else was there? Um, All these different, groups of, of people popping up and it's exciting to see more and more of those yeah like i i think i i would like to think that this is a bit of a turning point for them where now that they're doing all of the tv series and all of these one shots and stuff and they want to build this much bigger much more expansive universe 
I think they're finally realizing the benefits of not killing off every single fucking villain <laughs> because you need some of them to pad it out and to come back and to be occasional fawns in people's sides. And uh, I, I think that um, Zhu Jialang uh, could be one of those characters and the Ten Rings absolutely can be. Uh, I, I, I love her approach to just everything. Um 16 years old, well, started like her own the, fighting the, ring. The funny thing about it, the villain, the villainous aspect of it, too, is like you hear you hear Shang-Chi be like, um, they're like, Where, what happened? What about what happened to your lost sister? And she's like, oh, well, she's like dissolving she's my, my father's yeah. empire. And then you cut to it later at the end. And it's like she is not dissolving shit. Yeah, she just took it over. <laughs> you poor, Very deluded funny. summer child, Shang-Chi. <laughs> you should have realized. Um, I was... Maybe this is um, somewhat silly of me to expect, especially given that I think the licensing hasn't quite reverted yet. But there was part of me that was kind of hoping that there would be some kind of crossover, maybe an Easter egg or two that related to Iron Fist. Um, and I don't think we got that. And it's a shame that I it is what it is. I don't know what their plan is of Iron Fist, but I feel like the public um, didn't re- uh, at, at large didn't enjoy that show as much as the other Netflix things. And I've I wonder how how tied they are to, to bringing him back right away. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair. Um, I, I, I feel like of, so I, would, I would say, in my opinion, uh I, I think if they're going to bring anybody from the Netflix stuff back, it's Daredevil. And if they bring anybody back from that besides that, I'd say I could maybe see Jessica Jones, maybe Luke Cage in that order. I genuinely think that you could see. I don't think I don't think they bring back uh, the actor who plays Iron Fist. I feel like if Iron Fist is ever in the movies, it's it's a do over. Possibly. I I especially with the multiverse thing coming, I think that there's an opportunity for recasting if they want to. Um, Mm -hmm. And maybe something that's slightly more sympathetic to... um, Because the thing is, like, Iron Fist was, for for better or worse, it was more uh, tied to the original comics in terms of white guy travels to the Orient, learns Kung Fu, comes back. It was very kung fu exploitation-ish. Um, I don't know what the right word for that is, but it's probably very offensive, so it's probably best I don't know it. Um, you know, it, it's very David Carradine kung fu, you know, where it's like, well, yeah, we could give this to the guy that came up with it, but we see more money in a white dude. So I'm really sorry, Bruce Lee, but this idea you had for a kung fu TV show... We've given it to David Carradine. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Go back to being Kato. Um, like that, there there was that attitude during that era, and that's why Iron Fist ended up being a white dude. Um, I think that they missed a trick by not casting him as an Asian American character. Um, like you know, he he could have the all American white billionaire father, and uh, and and have a uh, an Asian mother, like a Chinese mother or something, it wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world because at least then you're 
you're starting to to veer into something that feels a little less appropriate uh, appropriate uh, appropriationist and i don't even know if that's a word um appropriationist i'm going to use that word i don't care um and and it feels more like something like shang chi where where it is like well look this is a chinese dude doing kung fu and <laughs> if you're going to have someone called shang chi let's have it be a chinese dude you know mm-hmm. um so they, they they've definitely got it right here. As for the rest of the cast, though, I w- I wouldn't change any of them honestly. Like Jessica Jones, absolutely perfect casting. I really like that show. I thought she did an amazing job in the role. Uh, there are people that will absolutely guarantee you that the hairy arms that you saw in the latest Spider-Man trailer belong to Mister Matt Murdock. I genuinely don't know where they come up with these theories. Um, but I actually think that those hairy forearms belong to another member of the MCU, a man who is famous for being hairy. Uh, That's right. You guessed it. Coming whenever the fuck this movie comes out, Wolverine is joining... The Wolfman. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Wolverine will be joining the MCU, and he does actually have a history with Spider-Man, so it doesn't sound as stupid as it originally did in my head. Um, (laughs) No, I I think uh, the rumours are that Matt Murdock is going to be a character that appears in Spider-Man. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he does even briefly. That's the rumour that I think is going to end up... I I do feel like there's too much... um, There's too much behind Toby and Andrew being in the movie. Yep. The Charlie Cox thing, I think, is a stretch. I think Charlie... I feel well, like that's going to be the thing that disappoints people because I have a feeling he's not in the movie, but we'll see. I, the thing is, if he doesn't turn up in the movie, it's not going to ruin my day. But mm. I would fucking love it if he was. Even if it wasn't as a named character, because there might be... I'm not sure when the rights expired for Netflix. Um... So I know I know that Marvel technically can't use the character or refer to the character on their independent programming until after the deal expired or expires. Um, and I know some of the deals haven't yet expired, and I don't know if it's a package deal. Um, so it might just come down to that. I don't know. But I, I would not be against having him appear just as, you know, nameless lawyer number one. And then they can work that shit out later. It would be a nice Easter egg at best or at worst. And at best, it could be pointing towards the inclusion of certain Netflix Marvel characters in the future. Like the Defenders in that universe, especially in a Spider-Man movie, makes perfect sense because it's all about kind of like neighborhood heroics rather than... It's micro rather than macro, you know? It's that difference between Mm -hmm. your street-level heroes and your, uh, you know, Iron Men and uh, Captain Marvels. Um, I would be very interested to see some kind of big screen version of, um, what's his fucking name now? Uh, <laughs> the big black dude in the yellow shirt, whose name I Luke can't Cage. remember. Luke Cage. I had his name a minute ago and I couldn't remember it. Thanks, Tyler. Um, again, big fan of that particular version of Luke Cage. I'm very, very unhappy that they left it where they left it on Netflix. And I would like to see that story resolved some way, somehow. And also, I want Vincent D'Onofrio to play Kingpin in the MCU. 
And I don't care who people suggest as an alternative. I don't fucking want them. I want Vincent D'Onofrio. So give me Vincent D'Onofrio and give me Luke Cage while you're at it. Thank you very much. I would also like, yeah, I would also like D'Onofrio to uh, to return. He was he's great. fucking brilliant. Especially when he lost it. Like that rage. He just embodied that rage perfectly. And he had a presence as well. Like he wasn't as big as, you know, comic book kingpin. But he didn't need to be. He was brilliant the way he was. Bring him back. Keep him in the white suit. Let's have it. Um, anyway, uh, got off topic a little bit there. Um, who else do we need to talk about? Fala Chen is in the movie for a hot minute as um, Shang-Chi's mother. Um, she does well with what she's given. She mm-hmm. doesn't really have that much to do, but she did a really good job with what she did. I'm kind of... Ho- I'm not hoping at all. I'm I'm expecting at some point that they're going to do the same thing that they seemingly do with all dead mothers in the MCU and they're going to bring her back somehow. Um, but we'll have to wait and see on that one because it's happened with everybody's mother so far. Everyone that's lost a mother, they've either been in the fucking quantum verse or mm-hmm. they, they went undercover. So they had to fake their death or, you know, it's, it's just, just for once pull a Bambi and stick to it. I mean, this is Disney we're talking about. If anyone knows about killing parents on film and sticking with it, it's fucking Disney. So mm-hmm. just throw some pointers down to Marvel because they have trouble sticking with uh, with the whole parental death thing. Uh, is there anyone else I've forgotten here, Tyler? Because I'm, I'm looking through it. I don't think I have. Um, no, I think we're, we're good. I do want to point out an interesting thing I noticed. Uh, oh, uh, D. Bradley Baker. Oh uh, yes, the voice, legendary of, uh, voice actor, is, voices Morris. Um, <laughs> his little, brilliant. his little things. I just want to bring that up. That's and great. then, um, uh, apparently, I be- I'm guessing during the um, the kind of Fight Club section of the movie, um, Jade Zhu uh, apparently reprises her role as one of the Black Widows from Black Widow. Yeah, I'm just reading this now, and that's interesting to me. She must be the one that the camera focused on when it first zoomed out. She had the face mask over her, her Yeah, I'm mouth. interested to look into that and, and watch again for that's that, because I didn't notice that, but that's neat. That's interesting that a character from that movie, very a very small character, yeah. <laughs> returns in this. It's exciting to see that. Either they have plans um, for her, or... It's just a nice bit of continuity that they figured I, they'd throw in there. I, I think it's this interesting continuity thing where I, I think it's fun of that they're having a good time just kind of um, leaving these little breadcrumbs mm. uh, to other stuff throughout for people to find. These Easter eggs that are just like these little things that connect back to other things. It seems to be a big part of what they're doing now. A um, couple other things I want to talk about before we get into all the weird shit. Right. Yes. A big change that they made in this movie that I think is fucking fantastic. Um, which, by the way, in general, the, we I know we mentioned it already. The fight choreography in this is so great. Mm. I love the fighting in this. It looks amazing. Um, the the bus sequence looks awesome. Yeah. The bamboo building sequence is so cool. Oh. The fighting is so great in this movie. Yes. Yeah, I completely agree completely agree um but i think oh go ahead no no you go ahead i wasn't really gonna so the big game changer for me 
in this game and the or in this uh, in this movie that I really think is going to change the game and be a really exciting thing for the MCU going forward. Hmm. Um, it's not just Shang Chi's personality and Simu Liu in the role who is was really committed to this role and the fight choreography and doing it for real, um, which I think really helps. Hmm. Um, Unlike the guy from Iron uh, Fist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He, he's very good and his commitment and his ability is important. And I think that's going to be a big thing for the MCU going forward. It's the choice to change the 10 rings from 10 finger rings yeah. to 10 big ring bracelets. Um, those rings are so fucking cool. <laughs> they really are. The shit they do with the rings in this movie is awesome. And they keep doing so much cool shit with it. Down to like, you know, in the flashback sequence where Tony Leung is, is fighting all those people uh, responsible for killing his wife. And you see that moment where it's happened so quickly, but you know he has just full force launched all ten rings into this guy's face. And they're back up so quickly it's like they didn't move. Mm. Um, and how brutal that feels is so cool. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure, um, Shang-Chi at one point is like using them to like jump from spot to spot. They like float in the air and he's like traveling across them. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing so much cool shit with these things that I was like, I can't fucking wait to see him combo move this shit with other (laughs) Avengers because (laughs) these things are awesome. That's going to be really cool. Actually. No, you're right. You're right. And And to me, that choice to change it to the bracelets, which until the, the one trailer came out, nobody really knew that's what they were doing with it. Yeah. Um, they look they look awesome. They function awesomely. They are such a cool thing to add to this world. It the, is a cool, unique weapon that I'm so excited to see more of. They're very cool. The, the concern for the Ten Rings was the fact that, like, traditionally each of the rings had its own power, and that meant that the Mandarin had a whole host of different abilities as a result of having all of these Ten Rings. Um, what we saw in this movie was that these rings, although they all essentially work as one and they have the same energy they give you the ability to essentially like you know they they work almost as energy weapons Uh, you can use them to propel yourself up in the air you can use them to keep yourself up in the air by standing on them Um, you can use them to bind other things to you when he's hanging on to his sister Mm-hmm. Um, that was cool you can use them as an energy shield uh we saw him using them to defend himself at the very beginning with the uh, volley of arrows and uh, you can use it as a hadoken as well which is pretty cool so yes we see that happen later they're, also yeah so they're not quite as versatile as the original 10 rings would be but i don't think they need to be because they're cinematically so much more interesting than oh, yeah. 10 rings on your finger. No, absolutely. And they do so many cool things in this movie with them that I was like, what a great choice. Whoever decided to change that up, I think smart. Um, and like you said, I, I, and I think somebody made the point, probably, I think this is a new rockstar thing where they were like, uh, 10 rings that do different things, th- 10 different colored rings on your finger that do different things. It feels a lot like the infinity gauntlet. Yeah. And, doing something different with it. 
I think was smart and they are very visually cool to watch. I, I think they nailed that choice. I think it was a cool choice to, to change it up and do this instead. And who knows what it is, uh, bringing to us. Well, this is the thing. And this was the last thing that I wanted to talk about before we moved oh. right into continuity. Cool. And I have another point to make off the piggyback of this, but I'll let you go first. So um, it's during the first of the two uh, end credit scenes where uh, we see uh, Mark Ruffalo and and Brie Larson as well as um, Wong. And they're looking at the rings and they're trying to figure out what the deal with the rings is. And they talk about the fact that, well, your father had them for a thousand years, but they are much, much older than that. So, and also there's this thing about them sending out a beacon, which is interesting Mm -hmm. to me. And I think that this fits quite nicely into the Eternals. I suspect that the rings might be some kind of artifact which is linked to the Eternals and that them now being used by someone that is using them with the right kind of power because they change from blue to 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 orangey red right um which is the same color as the magic that a lot of the eternals wield in their trailer mm. i suspect that what's happening is that it is signaling to one of the big bads that are going to appear in the eternals and shang chi gaining possession of the rings might be the impetus for the Eternals to regain their memories and and come back to the world of superheroing. Because from what we know about that movie already, they don't start off with any knowledge of what they once were. I don't think that's true based on the most recent trailer. Right. Which part? I feel like (laughs) the memory thing. The memory thing. that they always knew who they were. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, we'll find out. We will find out sooner rather than later. But there's one character. Yeah, I'm just saying, based, based on the trailer, it doesn't seem like that that theory is the case. Okay. That, yeah. But then they have to explain why they haven't been around and why they've not done anything for all the years right, which is which is which is uh, which is in the trailer. <laughs> which is uh, why okay. I feel like that's. I, not the I case. only walked in halfway through the trailer at the beginning, so I missed probably what was the yeah. important bit there never mind basically basically john snow says uh so why didn't you do anything and they're like we can't and he was like why and then they cut to one of the fucking uh, uh what are they called uh the celestials oh okay so yeah, i missed that bit <laughs> damn it never now, mind now the the thing i want to say about that and internals like this ties in everything first of all i was thinking well, I would love to see a Tony Liu cameo in Eternals. Why not? Ooh, yeah, good point. I don't think it's going to happen, but certainly time-wise could happen. Um, but what I would – what I'm really excited about right now with the MCU is is two things that they seem to be doing. Like post-Endgame, which, which Black Widow doesn't really seem to count too much because it's – there's only it's maybe like 30 seconds post end game right, <laughs> in yeah. the post credits. Everything else is pre um, where you're getting these little bits and pieces of information, but not everything. And, and Daniel Cretton said uh, at one point, uh, somebody asked him like, so what was going on with the Hulk not being the Hulk anymore? And he was like, well, I think that's what's fun is like, you'll find out. <laughs> mm. And so, 
the fact that like we, we get little it's it's almost like we are them and it's like when you have Shang-Chi and Katie meeting the Avengers uh, they don't know what the fuck is going on with the Avengers either. So the Avengers, the, you know, we as the audience also don't know what's going on. We get a little glimpse of it, and we go like, "Wait, what is? What is? What? Is, why is Abomination and Wong working together?" I don't know. We'll find out eventually, but it's kind of cool that we don't know yet, and we'll we'll find out. We're getting little glimpses of like yeah. other stories happening mm, in these mm. movies, which is fun. Like we're focused on this story, but we're a little we're getting little bits and pieces of other stuff, which I think is cool. Yeah. The other thing is that we have had 10 years of Marvel movies and we started out with Iron Man and the movie is very Iron Man. The first movie, it's so it's a militaristic movie. It's a superhero movie. It's about this billionaire guy and it's very simple and the world felt very simple and very bland. And yet here we are 10 years later and every between this Loki and Eternals and even WandaVision we are learning with every new project. And I uh, mentioned this on Twitter and the timeline of these movies was supposed to be that we would have gotten, um, we would have gotten um, Falcon and winter soldier and black widow first. And then you would have started getting things like Eternals and um, WandaVision and Loki and eventually Shang-Chi where, Every movie seems to be introducing this new element to this world where it's like we've been in these movies for 10 years and now every day we are finding out everything is so much weirder and crazy and magical than we had any fucking clue. And we're always learning more about it. And I think that that's really neat. Like the fact that we get to tie all of this shit together in this big universe is really fun because – all of these new stories introduces these magical elements that we had no idea. You know, we didn't know about the, the TVA or Talo or mm. um, the Celestials and the Eternals and all of this shit that we had no idea about. And it's like now we're learning and all of that existed theoretically in Iron Man 2008. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> I think it? that's really fun. Yeah, I think that's really cool. No, it's and, and, and harboring all the way back to that first end credit sequence where he says you just became a part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. Mm. Very it's cool. really well done it has it has been really well done from the from the beginning to now they've built this universe out so well and like you said like they started small they started more realistic if you can imagine a giant man made of uh iron flying around the world uh realistic um but still like they did start off with what was arguably the the slightly more realistic heroes and then they've built on it and they've made it weirder and weirder and weirder and probably the the landmark moment the watershed moment for them um and some people will think that i'm gonna say dr strange here but i'm not um i'm gonna go back to the old favorite uh the original guardians of the galaxy because i think that was the Mm -hmm. moment where they took a massive risk it wasn't really a risk because they knew they were going to make money on it but they took a massive massive risk tonally and it paid off for them (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy that that's the movie where it was really like, hey, things are really weird out in the world, huh? You have no idea. And now it's like, well, Jesus, things are so much weirder than we ever thought. Yeah, yeah. Like compared to Guardians, 4 was very, very simple and safe, mm-hmm. you know. He's he's the god of thunder and he's actually an alien and he's got a hammer that no one else can lift. But other than that, mm-hmm. perfectly normal, you know, every, everyday problems. 
bring me the largest dog that you have. Uh, <laughs> still a great line. I love that joke. Bring me a horse. We don't do horses here. Well, what do you have? Bring me the largest one you have. He's, she's just trying to figure out how those monkeys were able to ride those horses. Oh and the answer God, was they were acting like they, a, they knew how to ride those such horses. Such a great joke. So, I, and if a monkey like, can act like that, just imagine, imagine what, what can I do. can do. Oh my Fucking god! So funny. <laughs> I was, I was rolling. I was absolutely rolling. Okay, I think the time has come. We're one minute and forty-three. Uh, sorry, we're one hour and forty-three minutes. I was say. <laughs> that was a very long minute, wasn't it? We're one hour and forty-three minutes into this discussion, and the time has come. We already mentioned the big C word earlier. Yeah, that's right. Continuity. Um. Those of you with sharp eyes and a, a Twitter account might be following Tyler already. And if you have been, you'll probably have recognised that he had a bit of an existential crisis the other day when he was starting to talk about how ages and time frames all worked in Shang-Chi in relation to the Marvel Universe. And um, I'll be honest, I thought that it was a bit of a laugh watching him having this crisis. And then I watched the movie and I had one of my own. Um... We've been geeking out, we've been nerding out, we've been talking about it. Just very briefly, we mentioned it to each other about noticing certain things and how certain things don't really stack up. And uh, we're going to talk about it now. So, Tyler, where do you want to start on this shit show of a uh, continuity? <laughs> how old is Shang-Chi? <laughs> okay, this is the one I have the least problem with. And you've already seen my answer to you on Twitter. Um, and you never answered well, my question, so I'm going to that, ask you now. I guess now. we know how old he is. I guess the question is, what year does the movie take place? Okay, yeah. Because we know he was born in 1997. Yeah, okay, um, so he's he's born yeah. in 97. He leaves on the mission at the age of 14. Sorry, 96 he's born, isn't he? No, his parents met in 96. He was born in 97. Okay, so 97. So add 14 years onto that. So we're talking about, what, 2011. Then you add, uh, the, his father reckons it was 10 years. So you add 10 years onto that, and that's where you start getting into trouble. Because if it's 2021, we're two that years into the That means this movie snap. takes place mid-snap. Yes, which is not... I, I, I would be far more willing to believe that it was mid-snap if it wasn't for the fact that everyone was having a lovely time. Right. Um, it doesn't seem like anybody has been snapped. Yeah. There is that. I wonder... Although although we also don't talk about anybody being blipped back. No, but here's a thing that I'm just wondering now, because technically speaking, present day in the Marvel Universe is about 2026, right? 2023. 2023 now. I thought it was 2026. No, five years from 2018. Oh, you're right. Okay, 2023. Infinity well, see, War got... takes place in 2018. Glad I've got you Jump on Jump to five years, 2023. 2023 okay so if we say it's it's a rough ballpark estimate of 23 24 i don't know i believe it's october october 2018 is when the final battle and endgame takes place yeah i've looked and it up then, october 2023 is when it all yes. gets put back so it's exactly five years almost and up to this point the furthest point into the timeline we have confirmed traveled to is summer 2023 which is when far from home takes place 
Right. Okay. And WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier take place between Endgame ending and the beginning of – or the end of Far From Home. Right. Okay. See, the, the thing I'm wondering is I, there's an important question to be asked, right, which is um, were, were Shang-Chi and his father blipped or were they still around after the blip happened? Because that could skew things from their point of view. 15 years would technically be 10 years to them. So is that possibly a way of getting around it? At which point it would be 2026. It's There's no way this movie takes place in 2026. No, I That's... know. But they, th- this is the problem that they've got with, with fast-forwarding five years rather than well, resetting see, yeah. the timeline. And the problem with them saying present day because... We don't know what present day map, is anymore, the technically. The adds up to 2021. Mm. That's the problem. If If he left when he was 14... The math adds up to the world, to, to present day, which was the title card being 2021, which it is present day for us, right? Yeah. The problem is Endgame took place in, in October 2023. So is present day post Endgame or is present day for us present day, which is mid blip? Now, I don't know. I was under the assumption that Shang-Chi was 16 when he ran away for some reason. That math does add up to 2023, but I cannot remember for sure whether or not that was said. And based on Wikipedia, it says 2014. I can can tell you from my fresh memory of watching the movie tonight that he was 14 when he ran away. Okay. Then the movie has to take place in 2021. That's the only logical explanation. See, I'm airing. So this this movie must take place during the blip then. I'm I'm erring on the side that they've just made a bit of a mistake, honestly. There's no way. <laughs> this isn't they, they, this isn't a Sony movie. They're, they, they, those mistakes happen when they are not directly responsible for it. But they don't make this. Sh- they don't make mistakes when it's their own thing. Uh, I guess. Maybe. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's a this, strange one because I genuinely those scenes where they're all partying um, in where were they Kuala Lumpur or something like that. Where, where was the um, the Fight Club? Uh, Jakarta? Mm, no, it was um, Macau. Macau, okay. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody's having a brilliant time in Macau. Now, either the statistically impossible happened and nobody in Macau was blipped, or, and this is much more likely, the blip has either not happened yet or it's no, already it's, been put back in place to, to being... Nah, no, it has happened because they already mentioned the fact that half the people have disappeared or that they're living in a world where half of the people can disappear. That's a line in the, the movie, so it has the happened. The math doesn't add up to anything other than 20, 2021. I mean, yeah. that's the only thing. The, the math adds up to it is 2021 when this movie takes place, which is fine. And when you think about it, we don't see anybody in this movie that... Uh, or any reference to anybody coming back, and we don't see anybody who was who was blipped away. So yeah, the people on, in this movie on. are Wong, um, Captain wait, wait Marvel. Yeah, no, I know, I know. Something's just occurred oh. to me, though. Something's just occurred to me. When did Endgame release in cinemas? 2019, right? Uh, yes. So that's two years ago. 
if if we ju- just bear with me on this one, right? If if we struggle under the assumption that time in the MCU passes at the same rate as it does in real life, then two which years, it, which it did up until the yeah, time jump, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then two years have passed since Endgame finished. Now, when Endgame finished, it was twenty twenty three. So, if time moves at the pace that they established beforehand, then the actual time in the Marvel timeline right now is 2025, which is a lot closer. doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It does make sense. Like I've just explained why it makes sense, but I get what you're saying because the maths that they've talked about in the film makes it not make sense. Except if, if it's 2025, that's post-blip, right? Yeah. So... If they were both blipped, and from their point of view, it's been 10 years, they've lived 10 years between when Shang-Chi left and now, then technically it's been 14 years, which is, give or take, kind of within the wheelhouse where you can make the the, the rounding up be all right, you know? Maybe that's it. Maybe they were both blipped. I don't know. No, because they, like you said, no. you, like you said, they don't make mistakes with these movies. So either they because if either because they if have they made were, a mistake if they were blipped and it's twenty twenty five, like that math doesn't make doesn't add up. It, um, it would mean that there were nine years of lived experience since they parted ways to now. But it would mean, in real terms, that there were fourteen years between. Because if he's born in ninety seven and he's fourteen years old when he leaves, then that means it's twenty eleven when he when he walks out, right? Mm-hmm. So add 14 years onto 2011 and you've got 2025. It, it doesn't make any sense for this movie to take place in 2025. But, I, so where I, have they I made the mistake? Anything, because you, I, I, you seem very confident that they've not made a mistake. So how does it make yeah. sense if they haven't made a mistake? Because because I think this movie takes place in 2021. I think this movie takes place during the blip, and Christ. nobody because nobody talks about people coming back, and nobody in this movie um, was blipped. I just feel like everybody's far too happy. Yeah, but this is I mean this is a like couple the world years went later, and we're, and we're also looking at a different viewpoint. We're like we're not following the Avengers who. In Endgame, we're watching the people who who are responsible for it dealing with the repercussions. The the world went to shit. Like, at the beginning of Endgame, when Ant-Man comes back, when he's accidentally brought back from the Quantumverse. How do we know that everything in Macau isn't like that because a part of that that place is is gone? Like, this this underground ring Mm. is able to, to be formed because of a power vacuum that results in people disappearing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's absolutely possible. But also equally, um, we have seen the streets of San Francisco. We've seen people milling around San Francisco. Nobody looks distressed. Um, nothing looks, remember San Francisco. We know what it looks like by the time the Ant-Man comes back because he lives there. And that place was absolutely trashed. So what, downtown San Francisco looks pristine and perfectly fine and still has public transport and everything's great, but his neighborhood is trashed. It just it doesn't quite make sense to me. No, And that's and the I problem that they've that. got themselves I, I, into. My, my thing, too, is like, so if this, 
if this is there are hints both ways mm. so the problem is and i and i know you've mentioned this already we're gonna assume for a second that this movie takes place in 2021 okay yeah so under that assumption this movie is taking place in 2021 we are like two or three years uh removed from the blip we are still in it which means that nobody has returned yep wong we see strange we do not mm-hmm. wong seems to be in charge yep <laughs> uh which is which is weird terrible idea <laughs> captain captain marvel has her long hair still yes so she has not gotten her end game cut that she had in 2023 yep um and hulk is not smart Hulk. He's Bruce. Mm. Now, here's the thing. I'm pretty sure he had a sling on. He did. So that to me can... So that, that means, means it's post one, game. He hurt his arm in 2021 coincidentally. Oh, uh, Or two, uh, which, which to me is, 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 if that's the case, then the whole thing is to throw us off for some reason with this, which I'm sure they'll get into why. I'm sure there's a reason they want to throw us off. There's probably a reason why the they sling haven't is honestly specifically the only thing. said what year this movie takes place. Yeah, like, like the, the sling like genuinely is the thing that's putting me off here. The, the sling is definitely putting me off here because it's, it's the same arm, and mm-hmm. un, unless they are actively trying to troll us, and I wouldn't put it past them. I feel like that's what's happening. Then... Like, it feels because, like a continuity error. Because from my point of view, I was like, isn't it more likely that they get the fact that his arm is fucked up correct and they get Carol's hair wrong than the other way around? Because now, they can just so get her in a suit and be like, okay, you're Carol Danvers again. Oh, we forgot about the hair. Never mind. <laughs> so now if this movie... Now, let's say hypothetically this movie... Because it's, it's weird because people mention... People disappearing. They never mention anybody coming back, and we don't see anybody who came back that we know of. Hmm. So the thing that is kind of weird is that you could make the argument that this movie takes place. None of the characters. I think it's easy to say none of the characters in this movie were blipped because it seems like everybody has been solidly around and has not disappeared. Hmm. Um, and if you take into account this idea that it is a few months removed from Endgame. Possibly Carol has regrown her hair. Possibly Bruce has reformed back to his human self, which makes sense to me because if I'm making a Disney Plus show uh, that involves the Hulk, uh, I probably want mark ruffalo to look like mark ruffalo not the Hulk. yeah uh because that's gonna save me some money so a part of me thinks sure this kind of makes sense to me the idea that it's post end game he's reverted back her hair is longer something's happening right mm. but then a part of me is like I don't know, maybe some weird alliances formed during the blip. And that's why Wong and Abomination are working together. And that would make sense because why, why was that happening? Unless there's some future shit going on Mm. that we don't know about. 
So I don't know. It's It really is one of the things where they have figured out a way somehow to make this entire movie um, just ambiguous enough that I can't tell if it takes place in 2021 or 2023. And I hats off to them. Unfortunately, though, the hints that we have do seem to put it in 2021. Which is I'm, weird. I'm, but I'm that starting does seem to, veer to be where the math lines up. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to veer slightly more towards that theory of twenty twenty one and them just being bastards and putting him in a sling for no good reason. I think the sling is to throw us off. Yeah. But now, the, the, I again, I can't, and, and I can't it's, help it's but things. come it's back the to it. To throw us off into the fact that they say present day and they don't just tell us what fucking year it is. Hmm. And twenty twenty one is present day to us. So they aren't lying by putting present day if it takes place in 2021. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've, always, I've always disliked the use of present day in any film franchise that is a continuing continuity. Like if it's a one-off movie, it's fine, whatever. Like I get it, you're trying to keep it contemporary. But it just, especially with something like the Avengers which is and, and the MCU, which is so lore-heavy, and so well executed and, and fought out. Um, although there are occasions where they have had to correct their own law because they've realised they've made a cock up. Um, I just can't get over the fact that people are just like, yeah, everything's fine. Like, we saw what the world looked like after five years of the blip. Like, the world was in trouble because you can't replace a lot of the things that people do. Like, if you lose half of your population and, you know, you're losing half... Let's say it was a very, very even distribution of, of losses, right? You're losing half of your workforce in every single industry, including nuclear power, including transit. We've got a bit of a problem in the UK at the moment. I don't know if you've heard about it. It's called Brexit, and it's resulted in a shortage, and I'm not kidding you here, we have a shortage of 100,000 truck drivers. And the result of that is that we're not going to get our flu vaccines on time this year. We can't get blood tests because the vials haven't been delivered. There are foods that just aren't on shelves. Like, it's 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 verging on ridiculous. Um, and if you imagine those kind of staff shortages across every industry... And everyone, for the most part, that is still there has already got a job. So it's not like you can just draft them into other jobs. That's why yeah. I thought that the representation of the blip was so well done because they realised if we cut half of humanity, we are going to have massive infrastructural issues here. And they represented it really well with the build-up of rubbish on streets, houses that were left unkempt or, or derelict because people didn't live in them anymore. Um, mm -hmm. you know, there, there, there were areas of the city that you could argue would probably be uninhabitable because they didn't have water service, they didn't have electricity, they didn't have gas. There's all these things. And it wouldn't take two years before those, those things started biting in. It would only take months, if not sooner. So that's the kind of the sticking point that I have with the 2021 uh, theory is just that I don't see enough impact from the blip which was the most reality shaking changing 
thing to ever happen to the MCU. Mm-hmm. You know, you you take them uh, dropping um, Quicksilver and and uh, Scarlet Witch's homeland, um, Kaz, whatever the fuck. Nope. <laughs> no, I can't remember. I can't remember what it's, it's called now. Come My, on, Dave. We it got a whole Accords. What's it called? Sokovia. Sokovia. Of course it's the Sokovian Accords. But, you know, you, you look at the fact like Sokovia was a walk in the park in comparison. And that's an entire fucking city, if not an entire country, that was picked up by the scruff and just dumped on the earth again. Displaced thousands, if not millions of people. A walk in the park. Easy. Easily dealt with. You know, so that that's kind of my issue at the moment is that either they don't want to show us the impact or they've kind of forgotten that there should be more impact at this point if it's 2021. And if it's not 2021, I, it means I, their match is fucked up. I think the answer, I think the answer to, to what you're posing is simply uh, logically they don't want us to realize yet that this is mid and so if they mm. put that stuff in, it becomes obvious. But for whatever reason, they don't seem to want us to know what year this takes place. So they have to leave that stuff out because if it was in here, it would be too obvious. So they wanted to keep it uh, – they wanted to keep it um, ambiguous. Yeah, but I think there are better ways of getting around that. You don't show us an action sequence that takes place on the streets of San Francisco, uh, a city that we already know was badly affected by what happened. Um, mm-hmm. you know that I that that's the problem for me is just that if that is the case and I'm completely willing to believe that that is the case and they're trying to lead us down the garden path because there's this big reveal that they want to make that they're not ready to yet um, if they're doing that then they need to be a little bit more clever about how they represent the cities around us and mm-hmm. you know like take us to somewhere we've not been before Show us interior shots rather than exterior shots. Um, just be a little bit more Marvel about what you're doing because we know that they are very, very clever, not only individually as filmmakers, but collectively uh, as an overall story. And there's just something about the continuity and the 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 time, uh, the, the timing of the film um that just doesn't quite sit right with me and i'm not saying that i'm gonna let it annoy me to the point that i won't enjoy the film because i fucking love the film it's got slattery in it for christ's sakes how could i not love trevor slattery but i i just think that when you start it's one of these where, where you start picking at the hole and it just gets bigger and bigger like you you never made a hole go away by picking at it and unfortunately there were things in the movie that were so glaringly obvious, um, especially when you see people tweeting about it and you stop to think about it for a second. And we're not doing anyone any favours here by talking about it because we're basically giving them exactly the same problem. Uh, But fuck it, a problem shared is a problem halved, eh? Um, I, I think that they just need to be slightly more clever about how they're doing it. Um... And and maybe it's a timing issue with the movies, like you said. Like the the movies are a little bit out of sync at the moment, along with the TV shows because of everything that happened. But I don't think that putting them into the right order changes that particularly. Um, 
So it's a weird one. I'll be, I'll be interested to see how it's resolved and where this does fit into the timeline. And I'm sure that in a week or two, we'll probably have someone from Marvel come out and say, oh, this is where it's set, and this is this, and this is that, and that's why this. And oh, by the way, Bruce was building a, uh, a new fusion generator to power San Francisco, and he, um, he, he broke his pinky he broke his pinky finger and because he's a pussy uh he's had to put his entire arm in a cast and that's why he's got the sling on like you know that they'll they'll come out with this crap because unlike jk rowling they've actually thought about this stuff and they can explain it without having to rewrite half a dozen different things and incidentally turning themselves into a piece of shit um oh by the way little aside have you seen the story that Daniel Radcliffe um, was in attendance to help a victim of the mugging recently? Uh, no. So apparently, like, a woman was being mugged, and I don't know if he stopped it from happening or if he just kind of, like, came to the rescue and, and uh, comforted her while the emergency services were called. But um, I, I like to think that for every misdeed that J.K. Rowling carries out, Daniel Radcliffe is out there putting things right one at a time, balancing karma for the world. It's a lovely thought. Yeah, hey, I like Daniel Radcliffe a lot. <laughs> I, do, I do as well. I love the fact that he, he made all of his money with Harry Potter and now he just does mad shit. Yeah. Like, you've got to respect the craft. Like, he, he watched, um, what was it? It was Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. He saw that scene with uh, Matt Damon and he was just like, what do you mean? Do one for you and do one for the studio. I'm going to do them all for me. I can afford it. He's like, he, yeah, he's like, I'm a fucking billionaire. I'll do whatever the fuck I want, whatever I want. Who gives a shit? I'm going to purposely try to tank my career. And somehow he ends up making even more money. It's brilliant. I love it. He's such a, yeah. such an inspiration to the world. Like you know, I always, I always think about how when he was on Broadway, he wore the same clothes every single day. So that, Oof. The paparazzi couldn't get a new photo of him because they would just look like it was an old photo of him, and so oh, nobody that's would buy brilliant. it. Brilliant! That's brilliant. And he didn't need his clothes when he was on stage, so it didn't matter. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so yes, yeah, so, so there is that. I, I, I don't necessarily know where this takes place in the timeline. Uh, I feel like the logic makes sense. I feel like this reminds me of a, uh, a fucking Inception where everyone talks about the ambiguous ending of that movie. And I was like, the mo- all the facts in the movie, though, say it's not a dream. Everything mm. that they've established says it's not a dream. And I know it's like, well, is it, is it not? But, like, the answers are there if you look for it. I feel like this is similar, that the answer is there if you look for it. Yeah. The clues are there. It just doesn't seem like they want to tell us for some reason. That's what I'm intrigued by. Uh, but we'll see. Um, any other straight thoughts about Shang-Chi? I can't think of anything else. I, I think I've pretty much fapped myself into a stupor <laughs> over this movie. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk very quickly and, and not like going over each one of them, but just to, like like broadly? Uh, do you have any thoughts on what if so far? Uh, my main thought about what if so far is I should have watched it. Um, you haven't watched any of it. I've not watched any of it. Oh, man. So I, missed... I was making references to stuff that you didn't know oh, about. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. They went over my head. And I knew better than to Perfect. ask about them because I, I knew that I'd get them eventually. Um, the thing is uh, with uh, What If is, is that it feels a lot less like appointment television than the live action mm-hmm. TV series were. And I'm not saying that I'm not interested. I'm just, I think where I am at the moment is that I'm perfectly happy to just kind of catch them all in one big block 
at some point? Yeah, the question certainly seems to be, will they eventually connect? And I think that there's a path for that. And I do think if they start connecting into a bigger story, this might become a point of viewing. But so far, four episodes in, nothing that has happened feels very Hmm. important for anybody to see. Just interesting. So uh, I'm excited to hear your thoughts when you eventually catch up. But I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts yet. And no, I haven't seen it yet. As of yet, no. But uh, I think in the next week or so, I will probably end up watching not only Black Widow, but uh, however much What If is already out. Uh, So it's definitely something I'm interested to do. Um, But uh, I I don't know. It just the, the excitement isn't quite there to the same extent that it was for the live action stuff. And I wonder if part of that is because the internet in general doesn't seem as excited for it as the live action stuff. Um, maybe they haven't cottoned on to the fact that it potentially could end up canon-ish in as much as we have a multiverse. Well, it's so weird. It all it's happens. weird because it it is canon. Mm. It's just... There are alternate realities, yeah. and we're now getting into alternate realities. So I think it's possible a lot of these stuff might might become – it's it's like uh, it is canon because it happened. It just isn't canon in our world, so it didn't happen to us. Mm. But that these characters might pop up in other things because if we're jumping around the multiverse, it's possible that we see some of them. So um, that's where it's interesting. Uh, but as of right now, it's like – uh, kind of, um, I don't know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> uh, but as of right now, I think, so we have this movie is out now. Yep. Um, Eternals is coming. Eternals is, is a month or two months from now. Right. In November. And we've got quite a bit of, um, what if, because there's nine episodes of that show. Hmm. So that's going to end October 6th. And then after Eternals, we're getting Hawkeye. Ooh. I've not even Hawkeye, been keeping up on that. Hawkeye is going to wrap up like the last weekend of, or the last week of 2021. And then the question is whether or not Miss Marvel gets pushed. But we have... Miss Marvel supposedly is coming soon. Moon Knight after that. She-Hulk after that. Secret Invasion after that. And those are the TV shows. And then obviously we got Far From Home coming up um, this year. And who knows if if fucking uh, the Sony shit is going to connect at all. That is a possibility. (laughs) And then we have... um, is coming out I'm trying to find all the feature films um where are the films at i found the tv shows films films here we go and then yeah so spider-man and then doctor strange and then thor and then black panther and, and then the marvels shit all of that comes out next year cool. <laughs> it's gonna be a stacked year yeah it turtles and far from home to end this year and then in 2022, Doctor Strange, Thor, Black Panther, the Marvels, and then 
also uh, the She-Hulk show, the Secret Invasion show, potentially, or the Moon Knight show, the Miss Marvel show, if we don't get it in 2021. Um, yeah, that's crazy. That's a lot of shit. Damn. Well, it's going to be something to look forward to. Me personally, I'm looking forward to uh, 007 coming back to the cinemas because that's going to be the next thing that uh, I watch at the yeah. cinema. And uh, I am looking forward to he's, it after He's a got year. no time to die. He's got no time to die. Some people would say he's had an extra year to die. But, um, yeah. yeah, apparently no time to die. I, I, I say when your movie is nearly three hours long, you got, <laughs> you got plenty of time. You got plenty of time. I'm very much looking forward to seeing this saga concluded though, because when we started with Casino Royale, I don't think many of us expected uh, there to be this continuing linking storyline going on between Bond films. It's something that we've not seen done previously. And I'm not sure if we'll see it done again. Um, but I'm really excited to see that movie and see how they wrap it all up and to uh, wave Daniel Craig a fond farewell as he sails into the sunset as uh, James Bond 007. But uh, that's going to be something that we may talk about at another time. Uh, our time is unfortunately up. The uh, The sun is past the yardarm here. I'm uh, getting sleepy and I'm going to have to go to bed. So I'll uh, I wish all of you uh, fair listeners a, uh, a happy and uh, healthy day. And uh, thank you very much for joining me again, Tyler, to uh, talk about all things Marvel. We finally got that Marvel theme tune back on again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> until next time, take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.